Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. He was actually carrying the gun, as she put it, like a cane, with his hand over the end of the barrel. Was that going to be a sticking point with jurors? The way he was carrying the gun, did he really feel threatened? For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. Three years ago, this month, 22-year-old Rachel Wearsbicki was shot and killed by a man with whom she'd been in a relationship. The person charged with pulling the trigger, her ex-boyfriend, Shane Casado. According to court documents, the two had been fighting over their recent breakup. Last month, that man who admitted to pulling the trigger faced a jury. The defense started off by saying this is not an easy case. They claimed that Casado, who was 24 at the time, acted negligently and made a mistake. They detailed the victim's alleged violent episodes with him and in previous relationships. Meanwhile, prosecutors painted a different picture for jurors. They claimed Casado intentionally killed Rachel and that any claims he was in fear of his life are false. Heather Lee is a reporter and anchor with WGRZ in Buffalo. Heather, introduce us to this case. Who was Rachel Wearsbicki and what happened back in November of 2018? So Rachel Wearsbicki was a young woman who was shot and killed and really is at the center of this court case that, again, stretched about three years. She was 22 at the time when she was killed. She was the girlfriend. At some points, people referred to her as the estranged girlfriend of Shane Casado, who at the time was 24. And she showed up to his house one night here in South Buffalo, and that sort of went where things went wrong. And she showed up there with two friends and basically wanted to confront Shane Casado about their relationship. He testified that he was trying to break things off, um, and apparently she had some questions or concerns and wanted to confront him about uh, alleged relationships or contact with other women. And that's sort of how everything began, again, three years ago, November 2018. And you mentioned that a couple friends did go over to the house with Rachel. I assume a, a lot of what we know about what happened comes from them. Yes. So they, uh, the the one friend was the first witness that was called by the prosecution. Uh, her name was Catherine Courier. And she showed up. She was one of Rachel's friends, showed up to Shane Casado's house along with one of her friends. So the three of them drove to Casado's house that night. Uh, apparently, Rachel and Shane had been talking via Snapchat or via text message that night, and the three of them show up at the house, and the friend actually testified that when Rachel was shot, she didn't realize that she was actually hurt and testified that she thought Rachel was being dramatic and at one point had gotten out of the vehicle. They they drove there. Rachel had gotten out to knock on the door and, and talk to Shane. He told her to leave, tried to walk away. That's when sort of an argument ensued between the two of them. But it was that friend that after she was shot, walked up to her and tried to lift her up. And she said during her testimony, you know, again, I thought she was being dramatic. I told her, get up, let's go, and then realized that she was actually shot. 
she was actually seriously hurt. And she testified that Rachel at one point said um, that she couldn't feel her legs and she felt like she was floating. So that was some of the testimony that we heard in court, but also during the readback, which the jury had requested a short time after they were sent into the deliberation room, you know, to start thinking about how they felt about this case and to decide Casado's fate. Do we know anything about how exactly things escalated to that point from them showing up to this home to Rachel being shot? So during the testimony, Shane Casado said that Where's Vicky showed up at his home and the two were outside during the course of um, this night. She showed up, they were on the porch or close to the door, and at one point he testified that he told her to leave. She did not. Uh, And at one point there was testimony that Rachel had gone over to his car and hit the car, kicked the grill or kicked the tire. Um, And then that's where he said that he felt uh, threatened by her. And I think that that was one of the big sticking points with the jury is at least some of the jurors had that in their mind that he indeed felt threatened. In fact, he told police during his video interrogation that he felt threatened and that he actually brought the gun out and pointed it in her direction to try to scare her and said that he didn't mean to injure her or kill her, but just brought it out you know, to, as a means to try to get her to leave and to scare her off. Uh, one of the testimonies that we heard was from that friend Uh, that very first friend that said when he walked out of the home, he was actually carrying the gun as she put it like a cane with his hand over the end of the barrel. And that was one of the things that we, the reporters in the courtroom, we had kind of been talking amongst ourselves. Was that going to be a sticking point with jurors? The way he was carrying the gun, did he really feel threatened because he wasn't coming out with the gun aimed. And apparently that that casted some sort of doubt in at least some of the jurors' minds about how he felt about Rachel being there that night. Do we know, just as a point of clarification, if Rachel Wears-Bickey was armed in any way? She was not armed. That was very clear through the testimony that she was not armed. Uh, she at one point uh, had slapped Shane, and apparently um, during the testimony, I'm trying to recall tried to, they said, like, jump on him, but they described it in almost, the friend described it, almost like jumping on to sort of give, like, a bear hug. Um, The testimony, at least the testimony that I heard, didn't make it seem as though she was coming to jump on him to attack him. But again, he said that he had felt threatened during this altar, or during this uh, confrontation, I should say, and he told her to leave, and she sort of followed him up to the porch or next to the door before then going back down to the driveway, kicking the car, and then the the two of them were about 10 to 20 feet apart when he fired shots. And Casado said that he fired in her general direction, but didn't mean to actually hit her. And I understand that at that point, Shane Casado is actually the one who calls 911. What can you tell us about that 911 call? So he is the one that called 911 and again said what had happened um, said that he did not mean to did not mean to shoot her. And actually, during the testimony, it came up that he didn't really, or he testified that he didn't really know the full power of that rifle. It was a twenty-two, and said that he had used it for target practice before. And I guess didn't really, in in his mind, didn't really know the the full potential um, or how deadly it obviously as we've seen here, how deadly that gun actually was. But he was on the phone and at one point had tried to hang up saying that he needed to go help her. 
So this case has played out over multiple years. At any point in this, has there been any question about who pulled the trigger or has Shane Casado admitted to firing the gun that killed Rachel Weir's Bicky from the start? No, from the very start, he admitted to shooting her again, saying that he felt threatened, didn't actually mean to shoot her, didn't mean to to kill her. Uh, And that was actually one of the issues in this case. District Attorney John Flynn, he said that was one of the issues that the defense raised is the fact that he didn't accept a guilty plea. Um, you know, at one point there were there was talk of self-defense, but I think perhaps one of the biggest things is he claims that he didn't mean to shoot her and just was firing in that general direction. What charges would Shane Casado ultimately end up facing in this case? So ultimately he faced a charge of second-degree murder, but there's also that lesser-included charge of first-degree manslaughter, and really that comes down to intent. The prosecution for that second-degree murder charge had to prove intent. For manslaughter, it meant that he meant to cause serious injury, intended to cause serious injury, um, but didn't intend to kill her. From where the prosecutors are sitting is having those two different charges, a matter of giving the jury options if they're unable to convict on on one, maybe they're able to convict on the other? More options, but for them to analyze the prosecution's case. So they there was a lot of talk also. So there was the, the murder second, first-degree manslaughter, but there was a lot of talk of self-defense and whether or not uh, Shane Casado was justified in shooting Rachel Wearsbicki. One of the things that the judge said during um, while she was charging the jury, so basically giving them their instructions before they went into the room to decide Casado's fate, uh, she talked about justification and that self-defense and saying that there were two main points that the jury had to take into consideration when it came to justification. Number one, the prosecution had to prove that Shane Casado thought that Rachel Wearsbicki was either using or about to use deadly physical force and that his actions were necessary. And then the second part of that was a person of sound mind who would have been in Shane Casado's position, would they have felt the same exact way? So those were the two big sticking points when it came to justification in this case. The murder trial of a 27-year-old South Buffalo man started today. Let's dig in a little more to what happens when this case goes to trial. How did the defense lay out its argument that Shane Casado killed Rachel Weirs-Bickey in self-defense? Their biggest thing is they said that he did not mean to kill her and did not mean to harm her, but that he felt threatened during this encounter. And they, too, brought up the fact that they weren't going to accept the plea in this case, because he was obviously offered a plea before um, this went to trial, and they said, no, we're not going to do it. And they said that 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 was an indication that he was going to battle this out in court and wasn't going to admit to doing something that he didn't mean to do. And how did the prosecution lay out their case that that Shane Casado committed a crime, that he didn't just kill, but that he murdered Rachel Wearsbicki? They said that this was an encounter that didn't need to happen. Um, They talked about the fact that she was unarmed. That was a big sticking point for the prosecution. And especially during that readback, you could hear the prosecution in that line of questioning, asking, you know, over and over again, what was she armed? What was her demeanor? How close were they? What were they talking about? Were they yelling? Did she hit him? Did he hit her? 
um, basically trying to say that she was not a threat to him. Closing arguments lasted nearly two hours this afternoon in the Shane Casado murder trial. It was not dramatic at all. It was just very straightforward in the courtroom. And tomorrow morning, starting at 9.15, the judge is going to instruct the jury and deliberations will begin shortly after that. And in the end, what is the verdict that the jury reached in this case? So I think for a lot of folks in Western New York here, uh, they were kind of surprised because in the end, he faced that second-degree murder charge or manslaughter first. That was the lesser-included charge. And in the end, he was acquitted of both of those. Our top story tonight, the verdict in that high-profile trial involving a South Buffalo man found not guilty of all charges in the shooting death of his former girlfriend. I'm the mom of Shane Casado, not guilty. We knew that the whole time. I appreciate all the love and support that everybody has given us through this time. I want to send my condolences to the Wurzvickis family. My heart is with them. But this was not an open and shut case. And I just, again, not guilty. And I just want to thank everybody for their love and support during this time. We talked a little bit about how this trial and this verdict has been years in the making. Have we heard it all from Rachel Wearsbicki's family over the years, and, and what have they had to say? So most recently, the day um, that the verdict was handed down, the family members, Rachel's family members, you know, they sort of lowered their heads, didn't really say anything as they exited the court and exited the courthouse. Uh, however, our station, we did talk with uh, her parents. It was the one-year anniversary of her death, Lori and Mark Wearsbicki. And at the time, they were doing fundraisers to start a foundation. And they said that that was their way of sort of fighting through the pain. And, you know, it says it they said at the time it gave them, you know, a purpose in moving forward and moving forward in a positive direction. Well, I think working on the foundation keeps her alive and keeps her with us. And then it's a really hard week. So that was back in 2019, again, a year after she was killed. And they started something called the Rachel Warrior Foundation. And that was actually a nonprofit created in Rachel's memory. And the purpose of it, they said, was to help victims of domestic violence, either financially or really to connect them with some sort of support. And you got a mom with a couple young kids. Well, that's, that's a life-changing decision to make. And you got to make it as easy as possible for people. And, but you got to let them know that there's hope and there's, there's people that are there to help them and people that have been through the same thing. I mean, we'd love to stop anybody from being a victim, but if anybody is a victim, we'd also like to know that there's hope and support for them, too. I mean, it's huge, and any little thing we can do is, is what Rachel would do if she was here. She was always, you know, what can I do to help you? And uh, they said that, again, that was their way uh, of moving forward, and um, they had a fundraising gala at one point. It was called Let Love Soar. Um, that was about a year afterwards. And they said that it was set or the date that they chose it to be was right around Valentine's Day because that apparently was one of Rachel's favorite holidays. Heather Lee with WGRZ in Buffalo. Thanks for sharing this story. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. You can learn more about that foundation Heather mentioned at rachelwarriorfoundation.org. Rachel spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L, warriorfoundation.org. And once again, I'll mention the number for the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 800-799-SAFE. That's 800-799-7233. You can also text START to 88788. And if you're in a situation where it's safe to do so, you can visit thehotline.org for more information. That'll do it for this episode of The Daily Crime. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond.